as technologists, we love new tech. Anything new comes out, like we're going out and getting certifications and others like that. Sustainability is the latest cool tech. Go understand. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast. We talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm meeting Porter de Leon. Environmental sustainability is an essential conversation for business and tech leaders, as it should be. But do we need to take a broader approach to sustainability in business and IT? What elements do we need to think about when considering sustainability that will ensure that the business remains viable and competitive so that it endures? In this episode, I speak with Srini Kaushik, President of Technology, Sustainability, and AI at Rackspace, who shares the framework they use to think about this. From supply chain risk to technology investment, Srini and I discuss how companies can survive in a turbulent future. Shrini, you've talked about the need for a broad approach to sustainability in IT beyond just the green aspect. Can you describe what other dimensions of sustainability should be factored in, like uh, efficiency and agility to navigate disruption, like I'm talking about like volatile energy, energy prices, rising material costs, investor pressure, lots of different things that companies have to deal with, you know, while still delivering that superior value to customers and outperforming competitors in the market. What's, what's that, you know, definition of sustainability? First of all, it's a pleasure to be here. And look, the definition of sustainability that we tend to use at Brackspace and I personally like is one that mirrors very closely the World Economic Forum's description of sustainability. They define it in terms of the three E's. Obviously, everyone focuses on the environmental sustainability, and that is very important given the state of our planet right now. Environmental sustainability is very, very critical to us. However, the other two E's end up being the economic sustainability, because what good is a green planet if you don't have people who can kind of take advantage of it? And and like if people cannot partake in the advances that are being made, it's not there. So the economic sustainability is a big component of it. How do you make sure that the uh, benefits of technology and everything else that, that we do benefits the broader population and lifts all boats? And then the third component of it is, can you do it in a way that is equitable, right? If you kind of look at the last 20 years of technology, clearly, like I'm one of those one percenters who benefited from all the benefits of technology, but then at the same time, income inequality has grown. Technology is not accessible equally to everyone. So having that equitable aspect of sustainability is important. So to truly be sustainable, technology has to address all three of those E's. The uneven distribution of both the economic component and the you know equitable opponents is, I think, really critical in that piece too. From the perspective of the business, how do you, in your capacity, you know, where you are wrecked from a technology perspective, when you're looking at some of these these different disruption components, when you're looking at how do I accomplish creating that equitability that, that's sustainable economically, and how do you start approaching those? That's a great point again. Uh, let me use uh, artificial intelligence as an example, right? And I think today you can't get to a second conversation without yes. talking about AI, right? And let me put it in the context of sustainability and the way we look at it. I think, first of all, AI presents a very, very interesting challenge in terms of uh, green sustainability because every new AI training run consumes Depending on the size of the foundational model, it consumes anything like putting five gas-powered cars on the road for a year. So there's a lot of energy that's spent in driving a lot of these AI workloads. 
So I think when you look at it from a green standpoint, it is about making sure that you're focusing on responsible AI, right? You know, so while it's interesting that I can type in a prompt and it can generate any image that I want, how is it actually responsible? Is it benefiting humanity? Those types of things you can actually factor in. So applying responsible AI really means can I build applications and AI solutions that are safe for human beings, that are secure and protect the privacy of data and information, but also can they do it in such a way that you are being very judicious about how you consume power and electricity and how you actually leverage AI to be able to use that. So the green part of it is actually, I will tell you, is a challenge. I always kind of half joke saying, the only green technology is the one that you don't use, right? Because yes. technology is a necessary evil. Then the idea is how do you how, how do you become more efficient and effective about how you use that? That's the green challenge. One quick thing too, because you 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 mentioned something I think it was really important, and that was the responsible use of AI. And I think when people usually say that, they usually talk about it ethically. Is there bias in the system? Is it been trained using data that is valuable, that's going to create valuable use in it? Are you using it for dangerous things to hurt others or to misinform others? But responsible use of AI is realizing that there's a tremendous amount of power that's consumed, especially in some of the high density workloads. There's also a ton of water cooling that's leveraged you know, in those data centers. And is it responsible for me to create sonnets about anything I want to create a sonnet about while consuming all that energy and water and silicone and all the other components, is that responsible? So I think just like we do when we turn water on our tap or we use electricity in our house, we think about, well, turn the lights off, don't waste water. I think people need to start thinking about, I'd love that you brought this up, Shrini, people need to start thinking about turning the tap off to AI and not just using it just to use it because they can use it because it's free right now, especially for a lot of people. I'm so happy you brought up that analogy because it's the way I talk about sustainability to our customers, to our employees and, and others, it's like, you know, there's two aspects of it, right? So what a lot of people don't know is 80 to 85% of the energy spent goes into the process of creating something. Everybody's excited about electric cars. Well, 80 to 85% of the energy consumed when you're actually creating uh, that when, when uh, uh, an electric car is created in the manufacturing process and when you make those materials. And then the other 15% is really consumed when you are using the product for the longer run. So just like we do at home, making the right choices from a technology standpoint. So do I put an LED bulb instead of a old-fashioned filament-based bulb, right? Like that's a technology choice that you make, but that's an investment that you make at the start. But then over the lifetime of that product, you're constantly looking at how are you consuming? Am I turning it off when I leave the room, right? Do I run my AC at 74 degrees or do I run it at 69 in the middle of summer, right? That's a consumption-based uh, thing that you have to do. And I think we in technology have to spend a lot more time on both sides, right? Choosing what to create, but also how you consume that. I am the parent of two amazing daughters that grew up like one half and half in the internet age and the other one solely in the internet age. And I tell them they're very responsible, but I tell them like, look, it's great that you're looking at older guys like me and saying like, you know, you should have been more responsible with this. And I take that criticism to heart. 
But as we were kind of having this conversation over lunch, I just saw you take 10 pictures of that food that you were using. Where do you think that goes, right? Like there's a network consumption, there's a storage consumption, it never gets deleted. So like, no, look, we have, we all have to be very, very conscious about what we choose to use technology for and how do we drive that. That's a very integral part of sustainable and responsible AI. The other parts that are equally important is, you mentioned it, it has to be safe, but I extend it even further saying, if we build AI to replace human beings, then I don't think it's responsible, right? Now, if you actually build AI that augments a human's capability, that's very responsible, right? Because it's like kind of, it allows me to move away from the day-to-day toil to work on higher levels. Thinking versus thunking, and AI takes the thunking out and we can do the real thinking. That's a good way to- I stole it from the person at Google, so you can steal it from me too. I love that. I'm going to use, <laughs> use that, right? The thunking versus thinking. Uh, but that's, that's absolutely uh, uh, critical. And so I think that's a responsible use for AI because if that means that we're going to spend not 60 hours doing stuff that's meaningless, but you can spend 30 hours doing something that's meaningful, but then you have that the rest of the time to- support the family, to bring up the family properly, it's economically sustainable, right? Because you are actually, in order for us to continue to thrive in this world, we have to keep learning. But it's tough to keep learning when you don't have the time to do any of that stuff. And all you're doing is this routine mundane thunking work, right? So, No, I think you you hit on something incredibly well. Those two things, one, that that wrapping the economic sustainability isn't just the sustainability of the business. It's also the sustainability, the economic sustainability of the people who are, are in the business, employed by the business, consumers of the business. They have to be included in that economic sustainability. Yeah. More specifically to, uh, to an example to that, we launched the Foundry for AI by Ragspace earlier the, in the spring, right? And one of the first things that we launched along with it was a program called Fair Learn, which is a program that allows people to go take classes from MOOCs, uh, you know, whether it's deep learning, that AI or LinkedIn learning and others. Think Coursera, think uh, Udemy, think Udacity, those guys, right? We created the program and made it available. And we told all Rackers that in one year, we want 100% of Rackers to be AI ready. We did that because we believe that like a year from now, AI is going to be in everything we do. And if we don't get our people prepared for it and ready to be really good co-workers for AI, it's going to be detrimental, right? Like if somebody is working on something that is primarily thunking and they believe that that their value is in that, you've got to kind of give them something else. Otherwise, it will replace them. And it's then going back to this thing around economic viability, right? Like their viability, which they were doing very well doing thunking work, and now that's gone. So the economic sustainability is an equally important part of what you put in. And then the equitable is what you talked about quite a lot, right? Which is, I I think the equitable component of it is all about how do we make sure that the bias in AI is eliminated? How do you make sure that you reduce the harmful effects of it? And this is an area where, it, like, you know, just sticking with the AI example, it presents a lot of possibilities, right? You've seen those applications that help blind people kind of perceive what they're not seeing. They're in there and the AI is telling them, you've got this. You've seen the applications where it really does help from a translation standpoint from 
one language to the other on the fly. Those are really cool applications which expand the access of technology to a variety of people and not just those who can speak English or who have been blessed with the opportunity to have all five senses to be able to use them. It's about making that equitable access. So when we pick solutions, if you use those three as your filters, you will tend to pick more responsible AI solutions. And, and that applies to everything, right? You know, take it back to cloud computing. If you're going to move something to a cloud, but just put those three factors in, you will make different decisions that actually help you live a more sustainable future. Yeah. Great foundational explanation of how to create a sustainable business. And I think if more people adopt that framework, then we get more applications being responsibly produced, being sustainably produced, not just for the business, but for those consuming them, for those working at the company, because there are going to be people that pretty much produce any model that you can possibly imagine that's going to do everything you can possibly imagine. But if those can be the long tail, if those can be the fringe, not the bulk of what we do. If the bulk of what we do can be done sustainably using that framework that you're talking about, I think then we have a very different path forward. We have a far more responsible progression. And I think that's why some of the people who are looking at these big companies are like, why weren't you doing this earlier? Some, in many cases, is because they were trying to be part of this framework or all of this framework or leveraging all of this framework to, to be doing these things responsibly, not just ushing these things uh, upon the planet and seeing what happens. Yeah, I think that framework actually does help a lot more because if you applied that framework properly, we wouldn't have gone through the whole NFT and cryptocurrency mining thing that we went through. Because think about it. It's the, it's the Wasn't same, that fun? It's yeah. the same NVIDIA GPUs. It's the same energy consumption, everything else that we're seeing right now with AI. But to do what? To create an NFT of my dog that I have a version of it sitting out there that somebody has signed a fictional value to that doesn't, the wealth doesn't go to, is not equitably shared between people, right? Because it's the rich getting richer versus like who don't have that gap continues to grow. I think it as technology leaders, we're going to have to be a lot more conscious about the decisions we make as to where you use technology and how you do that. And I think the sustainability framework we've been talking about gives you a much better, it's not that you're not going to make mistakes, but it'll kind of weed out some of the really bad ideas very quickly. Yeah, I think especially when you're using some of the large you know, resources to be able to create some of these things at scale, I think that's where those responsibility frameworks come into that sustainability you know, action and being able to have the massive impact. Like I had a great conversation with Missy Young, who's the CIO of Switch, really huge, gigantic data center provider using, you know, sourcing green energy, recycling water, but at the same time, there's still silicone that goes into that. You know, there's still other components that go into those things. And when someone and she's their their capacity is being bought up years in advance before they've even poured the concrete on these data centers. So those companies are deciding what resources are, are going to be spent already years in advance to be able to run what kind of models, what will they do, who will they help, who will they be for? Technology uh, the leaders like very, by the way, like you know, I love switch they, they, and uh, what they do. Look, tech, I'm told that I'm passionate about the sustainability topic. I think technology leaders can make good, uh, solid decisions, right? Here's one that, that we think about in terms of, if you understand the fact that like in order to make this laptop, most of the energy to make this laptop was spent when it was created, right? And then after that, it's all about consumption to do this. One of the things that most IT leaders do is at the end of a useful life and whatever they define the useful life, three years or four years of uh, which in the corporate environment, they sell it to people who recycle it and, and drive that. 
well, uh, IT leaders should think of upcycling it. And what, what I mean by upcycling is uh, three, four-year-old uh, top that you've got uh, probably benefit an underprivileged student in a school a lot more than oh, yeah. selling it for a hundred bucks and having someone recycle it, right? Like, so if that laptop finds a way to make it into the hands of these schools that are struggling to go drive that, you actually are thinking about the sustainability in that, in that true, how do you actually do economic, equitable, and environmental way? So it just gives you some really interesting options that, you know, shame on us. We didn't think about it 20 years ago, but, you know, it'll be even worse if we don't do it starting now, right? Given the state of the plant. Exactly. Just like the old proverb that is, when's the best time to plant a tree? 10 years ago. When's the second best time right now? Excellent. And give me a sense too of sort of what what your experience has been in the evolution of the definition of sustainability, the evolution of artificial intelligence, because the two of them seem to be converging in this very unique way at this time. Both have been around the idea of sustainability, both you know, AIML been around for a long time, but now we're getting this convergence where you have billions of dollars being put into this technology to be used for what question mark, is it good? Is it not good? Are we making the right choices here? And then a greater emphasis on this new framework that you're talking about. Tell me a little bit about how that you've seen those two evolve and then now converge. Cause I think that's just, that's fascinating to me. Well, it's not going to be any great insights that come in. It's, it's basic human nature, right? Like I don't, I think most humans don't act until there's a burning platform they're standing on. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Till it's out there. Oh, wow. It actually is. A meteor actually is coming to the earth. Maybe we should do something. <laughs> so although we have had this information and I was on a different call in the morning and I said, hey, guys, like, let's remember that the term artificial intelligence was coined 70 plus years ago. And when you kind of think about everything that's been done, everything from I got my master's degree in the 80s and my area of specialization was artificial intelligence, but it was very rudimentary things that we talked about. And it's been on a slow burn for 70 years. It's the same thing with sustainability. Everybody knew conservation was important when you had the oil shock of the 70s. Like it was all about independence, but it was also about the depend. Like that's when you saw smaller cars come out. That's when you saw Japanese cars take precedence over U.S. cars, right? So everybody realized it. But until it's a crisis, we don't get the type of things there. And, and I think that's one of the key things that's consistent with both sustainability and artificial intelligence today. Number one, on the sustainability front, just look out the window. Let's forget all the political debates around it, but you can at least agree that the really extreme weather events, the frequency has gone up and the amount of damage that it's causing has gone up, right? To human life, to property, everything else. And and you see you see it in some like like where you're saying, like nobody does anything till there's a burning platform. Yeah. Um, in California here, I'm in California. So we, I, I was just joking actually before we would do the recording that there we have four seasons here, just like everyone else. You know, it's fall, it's winter, it's spring, and it's fire. That's our fourth season. <laughs> and it is, it's consistent. And then, and, and we're already seeing insurance companies reacting to it and no longer providing certain coverage in certain places because we're on a burning platform in certain areas from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint. They're not seeing economic sustainability in certain areas based on their business model. Yeah, well, like, look, I love California. I lived in California for 10 years, right? Just the, the, the thing, I lived in Los Gatos in Northern California, right? Like, outside <laughs> of this. And, you know, I think the fire in 2020 came about a mile and a half away from where we lived, right? And then in the 10 plus year, in the 10 years that I lived there, I saw San Francisco change from what it was to where, where it is today. And I think it's a consequence 
all not thinking of broader sustainability, right? Like in terms of, look, even if the everybody says the weather in California is fantastic, and it it is for the most part, but at the same time, the economic inequality that's been created, the, the income bag gap that's been created, is a contributing factor. It may not be the primary. It's a it's a contributing factor to the homelessness and the other challenges you have in that space. So this is. These things are interrelated. So I think that's there. But back to your original question, I think in the sustainability front, we do have a burning platform. Most people are starting to recognize that. And as insurers and everybody else starts backing off, it's going to get worse in that space. And then in the AI pace, it's it's the other thing. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy because there's a lot of, you know, I'm one of those glass half full guys who does believe that responsible AI is going to be the future on this piece, but it's not going to be without its drop. I'm not one of those guys who thinks the future of matrix is what our future is like machines are going to be running and we're going to be fueled. <laughs> like that. However, I think the path from here to the future of responsible AI is going to be filled with potholes that we're going to have to navigate to go drive that. Mm -hmm. The good news is people have seen that enough that when you see regulators in the U.S. perking up, right, like then you just say, okay, there's something seriously that's going on because Europe always tends to be a, a leader in the space, whether it's in green or in AI regulations or something like that. But the gap between the European regulations and the, the U.S.-based regulations are not going to be that big this time around because they are falling very quickly in this space. So I believe... Because of that, you see the interesting convergence of both of those trends being front and center in people's minds. That's definitely one. I do think there's also a, the, here's the glass half full version of me. Oh, good. We're going to get some glass half full stuff. That's good. Yeah. No, no. The, the, one of the coolest things about knowledge, like I'm a pretty old guy, right? And, and I've seen this technology evolution from the point in time it's been punch cards to what we have today and what's coming for the next few years. And the amount of knowledge that humanity has gained has been fascinating to me. I studied about DNA and Watson, Watson and Crick when I got to college, right? Because it was discovered in the, the late 60s, early 70s. By the time it made it into the curriculum and others, it was late 70s. Well, my middle schooler learned about it right 10 years ago. Right? No. And, mm -hmm. and what, yeah. what's been done with the Human Genome Project and others. And if you kind of think about the compounding effect of that much knowledge, it is pretty cool to imagine what all it can be used for in the future. That excites me because I think my granddaughter is going to have a better future if we let her have it. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that. If we let, yeah, but do you yeah. and do you think this new these new large learning models are going to be able to take that data and synthesize it and then do something hopefully useful with it? Do you think that is part of that future where good things can be done from a sustainability standpoint, whether economically, whether it's you know from a you know a green standpoint? I believe so. Right. So here's here's a real example. Right. You have heard of the Khan Academy, right? Sal Khan and that yes, out of the Bay Area driving that. I was listening to him the other day and he said like, oh, look, AI is going to be helpful. And I never thought about it this way, but the more I think about it, it makes sense, right? Go back 2000 years ago, education was a teacher teaching three or four students, pupils that you brought up and the level of knowledge you were able to impart, the personalization was pretty significant. As humanity evolved, you got the schools and you had now public schools with a teacher desperately trying to teach 60 kids in a school. 
in order for to make sure that every kid learns the same, you have to dumb it down so that it really matches all 60. So you're not tapping into the potential. Not the way he used the words. He was much more articulate. This is Srini saying it. You have to kind of bring it down to the lowest common denominator so that you can bring everybody along. What that does is it really doesn't help the more advanced folks because they can't learn faster. It doesn't help the people who are struggling also because you're at the average and they're still not able to catch up with the average. What AI has the ability to do and what they're experimenting with in others is you can have personalized tutors. So if I'm slow at learning things, it can come down to my level to be able to teach me and bring me along. There's a really positive thing because it's it's like now you may have a different solution to how you teach. You may have a different solution to what college degrees could look like 10 years from now. Right, you may have a different yes. solution to uh, what people like. So everybody is not. Oh, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I went through the same curriculum over and over again. Now I can kind of play to my strengths, right? Like you know, where I'm a mechanical engineer, but yes. somehow I like songwriting, so I was able to kind of go do that as well, and and thrive in the areas that's there. So I no, I love that. Yeah, so I love the fact that like you know, I think those are the possibilities, and given the fact that this base of human knowledge continues to grow. And that entire base of human knowledge is available to me through a tutor that can actually help me is exciting to me, right? Like, yes, there's downsides, right? Like if, if it's like GPT-3 and 3.5 and you've trained the thing based on the entire corpus of information available on the internet today, there's good and bad stuff on there, right? So why are you surprised that it's not <laughs> yes. harmful, harmful pieces? But yeah. if you can, like, for instance, in the teaching space, do that you can actually bring out and tailor the lesson plan or tailor how fast you or slow, slow you learn to each individual person. So you get to the point where this is not about political statements or something like that, but no child is ever left behind, right? Because you can actually make sure that you're tailoring it to the, their pieces. And now back to this conversation around teachers and what they do, it's not like the teacher's job goes away. Now you can actually do things where, you know, most teachers that I talk to, they do it because they love the profession, but at the same time, they feel pretty bad, but that they don't have the right resources to bring everybody along and others. And here's a place where you, you've gotten out of their thinking and, and into a place where they can actually do that. So I think that's what, that's the potential that AI has. And, and it's the same thing with sustainability. The more solutions you come up with for carbon capture, all of these other things, like we screwed this up, we can fix it, right? And I tend to be one of those guys that says like, yeah, we can fix it. I like it. We broke it. We, we fix it. And I love the analogy with sort of the kids and the personalization, because I feel like that really translates into, let's say, the world of, you know, technology leaders, and they have different people on their team with different strengths. And it's funny because you, you said it made you think differently. And it's kind of making me think differently, like where you don't just have even your network engineer, or you don't just have your storage admin, or you don't just have, you have different people who can move at different speeds, depending on the whole corpus of skills. And if they've got this AI who can fill in some gaps, like there's certain things where like I have weaknesses, AI is already filling those in. So I can do more than I could even imagine before. Like we, we can't even imagine what these roles are going to look like with co-pilots. And it's not going to be, hey, I'm going to take this away from you. Like, no, you can start doing things that were better they were before. There was a great study that came out with uh, with Harvard and you know I think the Wharton School where they talked about the productivity of lower performers, quote unquote lower performers, um, and that the skills gap it 
it just, I use air quotes, of course, for those listening, <laughs> the skills gap was closed immensely from people who are quote unquote lower performers. And it just has a capability of just people being able to do things they just couldn't do before, not replacing people, but augmenting. And I think that that concept can be applied to, to school, it can apply to medicine, it can apply to technology applications, those working IT fields, those are in line of business. And I think we're just beginning to just scratch the surface of our understanding of how this is going to change things. I read that study as well. It was actually pretty cool because something I learned out of that is AI and the use of AI, it probably jeopardizes more of the experts' jobs as opposed to like you know, the people <laughs> yeah. who are day-to-day -day average type thing. It actually lifts their productivity up to be able to go drive that. And so I thought that was fascinating because, but if you think more about it, the example you use is right, right? You know, in the past 20 years ago, when I was a CIO and uh, looking at it, I valued a Cisco network engineer quite a lot, right? You know, so today I can get that knowledge, like AI can actually help me, Cisco is giving me the AI that gets me that knowledge, but now I need someone who can actually think across the board and be more generalist to do that. And if you think through that, and primary education and secondary education and college education, that's what we're trying to do. Like, you know, you build up these silos of knowledge and then you go into more specialization to drive this. It will change. I think as AI becomes more mm -hmm. and more useful and more prevalent, it's going to change this and it's going to change it in exciting ways. Well, I have a four-year-old granddaughter. Me and my wife have got a bet. I think by the time she gets to college age, there won't be college. Yeah. It'll be something that we can't even imagine. Our version of college at that point in time is going to be something very, very different than than what we're all used to even today. So, yeah. And people like will be entrepreneurs right in the beginning. They'll be have an AI system. They'll spin up a Python application. They'll run it somewhere in the cloud. They'll start to do proof of work. They'll post it somewhere. And all this will be declarative and will only be limited by your imagination. And it won't be the same curriculum coursework produced. You know, then you're tested. And then if you don't test right and you're not meeting spec, then you'd be reprocessed by going back. All that stuff, the, you know, the sort of industrial scholastic complex that was created to create factory workers is going to look completely different. My only concern though is what's the inequitable distribution of the tooling. Who will have AI and who won't have AI? And is that going to create just a massive capabilities gap? Is it going to create a massive wealth gap? Or is it going to reach everyone where they are now and lift everyone up equally? That's the big question mark. That's where like the intersection of AI and sustainability becomes useful, especially the three E's that I talked about. If we factor that in, then you have to kind of make sure that you don't leave anyone behind to be able to bring people in. Because otherwise, yeah, you're right. Who's got access to it and how? Again, glass half full, half empty, whichever way you look at it. Today, a lot of people don't go to college because there's bias in admissions. There's whatever it is. There's structural biases in, in being able to afford education, all of that other stuff. Well, what if we didn't have those things, right? What if I didn't have to know a network of people to get into Harvard or, or any of these Ivy League schools? And if, <laughs> or if Harvard wasn't a relevant brand anymore. And if I have that same level of uh, knowledge available to anyone, right? You know, so then the question is, what are the barriers? Then they tend to be, do I have access to technology? Or what am I being taught in my schools that, that are not being taught somewhere else? Like, you know, the, it, it starts to change the possibilities of how you can actually go about it, which is why I think it's, we live in very exciting times. We, we absolutely have the ability to change the future for the better. And it's critical that as technical leaders, we embrace that and drive that.
Excellent. So I think that's that's a sort of a great note to transition to sort of my last question, which is, what's that call to action to other technology leaders who are just beginning on this journey? And I was just just at a great CIO event, tech leader event. I'm going to be at another one. Actually, by the time you listen to this, I'll have been to the one you know in, in Barcelona as well, and talking to them, and they're just they're just at the beginning of the journey. No, nobody's, you know, light years ahead of, of this from a technology, from a sustainability standpoint. I think a lot of people are just putting their thoughts into their strategy. Some are ahead, but I think now is a good time to really say, what would be your advice to those technology leaders who want to adopt this framework and help their business become a sustainable business in, in, in that meaning of the framework? Yeah, well, like, look, I think it's a, it's a great question and I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be an expert. I'll tell you what's influenced me, right? Like one of the... So I'm asking you to change the world right now, Srini. Can you just change the world and just give everyone a, a, a blueprint to how to do that? Well, well, one of the things that I actually do believe in, the thing that got me very passionate about sustainability was, it's a simple saying, but but I the, heard the saying that just said, like, the earth is not something you inherited from your ancestors. It's something you're borrowing from your children. Yeah, I love that. No, I, lo- I love that. I think that's profound because I think if I'm borrowing from my children, like, you know, if that's what I'm doing. How do I leave it in a better place? Like if you if you've got a mortgage, like if you're going to leave it to the, the house, how did you pay that down? Right? You know how, how did you actually pay it down or pay it off or any of that stuff? So then what it does is like if you believe in that stuff, then it gets to a point where uh, the second thing people have to understand is as a technologist, right, or anywhere, as a technologist, do not assume that someone else is going to solve it. It's got to be you who's going to have to start, right? And absolutely one person can make a difference. When you externalize it and say like, oh, wait a second, India and China burn more coal than than the U.S. does. And it's like nothing you can do to control that. But you can actually control what you do, right? And and how you actually do that piece. And so so it's the same thing that applies to technology leaders. As technologists, we live and operate in an environment that has the ability to impact this in a meaningful way how you choose the technologies you use, how you consume it, how do you kind of make it available to a broader subset of people so that they can enjoy the benefits of uh, that technology brings. Those are all things under our control. And I think then you start to see leaders make that change. And clearly, in order to make those right decisions, getting educated about a lot of things around sustainability. As technologists, we love new tech. Anything new comes out, like we're going out and getting certifications and others like that. Sustainability is the latest cool tech. Go understand what goes into creating a gadget you buy. Right? Or, I love that perspective. You know, sustainability is the new cool tech. Yeah, it, it, it is. Because it, I think, it, how cool is it that you can actually go beyond the words that Silicon Valley normally uses and says, like, we're going to change the world. Well, here you can actually change the world, mm-hmm. right? You know, when you when you actually do apply sustainability in that. We have another dysfunctional saying, and that's called move fast and break things. <laughs> that's, and well, that's, that's not we, the most sustainable phrase. We've done that. We've done <laughs> Yes, we've done that. <laughs> so, so we've moved fast and we've broken things. But now, like, I think if you think about it from that vantage point, there's a lot more we can do. And then... We get to the point where at home, every place that you go, like, you know, we, our home is run like everything else. Like if we get a, we don't get plastic bags from the stores anymore. We're carrying our bags. But at the same time, the plastic bag that comes home doesn't ever get thrown away. Nine months ago, when I was in California, I went to a Target and picked this thing up, right? This is the 
pat water bottle like and it's it's just a regular water bottle it's ph balanced water bottle but in a metal container and that was i bought this in january i'm still carrying it around like oh, nice. i need water like i keep yes yeah and and it's like it works it's everything we do yeah i didn't need to go spend a hundred bucks on name your product and buy another one just to say I'm sustainable. Well, I just didn't throw away the aluminum can. I love the fact that you go through San Francisco, you can't get any more plastic bottles. You can only get those aluminum bottles in the San Francisco airport, yep. right? It's a good move, right? Yep. You know, but it's fabulous. You know, I just took it one more step and go like those bottles, like that brand is like pretty, it crumbles pretty easily. Even when you're coming down on the plane, the pressure crumbles it. So this one is a little mm -hmm. bit more robust it cost me a couple of bucks but it's lasted me nine months it's fabulous so we can use that analogy i think you know to pretty much anything that we do when we're deploying technology when we're looking at you know building strategy yeah just understand what it's being used at. i like it well trini this has been a fabulous conversation tell everybody where they can find out more about you about rackspace and where they can find you on the internet well, you can connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Srini Kaushik. So you should be able to connect with me there. That's probably the best place to connect with me. If you want to find out about more of what we're doing with sustainability and AI, you can go to fair.rackspace.com, which is F-A-I-R, which incidentally stands for Foundry for AI by Rackspace, right? It's what FAIR stands for. Oh, that's fair awesome. Rackspace.com. <laughs> that's fabulous. You'll hear a lot more, like you can hear a lot more about how we think about responsible AI and others from there. But if I've been able to, to influence one or two people in thinking about sustainability and thinking about how we use technology, I consider it a win. Yeah, well, I'll definitely be saving my water bottles like I've been doing. So I think we're on the same page there. Well, Srini, I appreciate you uh, joining the CIO Exchange podcast. Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.